Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We are getting back into God's Word today um, in a series through the book of Daniel. Um, I hope you've been following along with our reading plan because we are now in chapter 3. Um, to get through this book in just four weeks, we're going we're gonna to actually be skipping some chapters, and so I, I'm going to expect that you'll read in between the chapters. And uh, so if you didn't through chapter 2. Um, do that this week and into, into chapter 3 and uh, the following passages. Um, but uh, we are going to be preaching today um, in this message that we've entitled, Stand Up in a Bowed Down World. We're talking about how to follow Jesus in a culture that coming more and more opposed to God and to His truth. And so um, I, uh, the way I wanted to start this morning was uh, I had a question. I was wondering how many of you just had a, had a day this week that maybe just wasn't the greatest, you know, had a bad day, yeah? Man, I'm surprised a lot of you guys go through bad days. How about, how about sometime in this last month, you know, if it wasn't this week, did you have a bad day or this year? Yeah, okay. I think all of us have gone through some bad days. And my job as your pastor is to make you just realize that your life is not as miserable as what you think of it, okay? And so I brought with me some pictures here. I want to show you some, some pictures of people having bad days, okay? Go ahead and, and uh, scroll through those. <laughs> that was a bad day. <laughs> Drywall work needed. <laughs> Wet paint. There's, there's our Payton City plumbers. <laughs> and we thank them for all that they do. <laughs> too soon, too soon. All right. All right. Well, if you have gone through something, a bad day, um, let me just uh, give, you, give you a little bit of advice. It can always get worse. It can always get worse. Yeah, you're nodding. You're like, yeah, that's true. Okay. But that's, that's the reality. Some of you guys don't think that's funny, but, but the reality is that some of you guys have been living through maybe the hardest week of your life. Um, some of you have gone through the hardest month or a few months of your lives, or, or, or maybe it's extended into years, the hardest years of your life. And uh, maybe you're coming out of a hard time, you're in the middle of a hard time, or you're going through a hard time right now. And um, a lot of us as Christians, we, we question when those things happen because we, we were raised, and, and I think sometimes we, we teach this unconsciously to, to children when they grow up in church that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows. But the reality is, is that uh, Jesus taught is, is that in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have bad days. You'll face a lot of conflict, opposition. You'll, you'll go through difficulty. Um, but he said this, take heart. Take heart. Because I have overcome the world. He is our hope. He is our peace in the midst of a fire. And so if you've been going through a fire lately, um, just cling on to Jesus. Maybe you've been going through a financial fire. Maybe it's a health-related fire. Maybe it's a, a relationship fire. Maybe it's just that, that you're 
struggling to follow Jesus in your workplace, or you know you're going to be going back to to school this week and, and as a teacher, as a student, and there's going to be a lot of pressures of how can I follow Jesus in, in this place where a lot of people are opposed to him, or I feel like I can't live as a Christian, or I'm expected to do things that, that don't align with God's word or my faith in Jesus. What we're going to see today from Daniel chapter 3 is how we can follow Jesus and stand up for him when we are in the midst of fire. And so Daniel chapter 3 is where we are going today. And uh, let me just pray for us and uh, just uh, as, as we consider God's word and what it has to say in this regard. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you are with us for the fire. God, that uh, you have, as you teach us and have shown us, Lord, you have overcome the world. And so, Lord, we, we just pray, God, for each one that is, is going through a difficult time right now. God, that uh, as they read your word, their faith would be strengthened. God, that um, they'd be encouraged and empowered by your spirit to take a stand. Lord, to, to stand up and believe that you are good. To stand up and believe in your truth. To stand up for what, um, what they know is, is right. God, would you just uh, teach us from your word in that way? Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, my mic is cutting out a little bit, but we want to just uh, just to go to Daniel chapter 3. That's where we are today. If you were with us last week, we opened up with the book of, of Daniel. Um, we know that um, they were in what was called the, the Babylonian exile. And this is when the, the people of Israel and Judah, because of their lack of faith in God, because they no longer followed the Lord, um, God allowed foreign nations to come in and, and overtake them. And what happened is, is that uh, the, the nation of Judah was overtaken by the larger nation of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, this, this wicked, evil tyrant. And um, what he did was he took a lot of the brightest and best of the youths and brought them into an indoctrination program that was meant to train them in the Babylonian culture and religion and history so that they could be the future leaders and basically bring the nation of Judah into becoming a Babylonian nation as well. He wanted to destroy their religion. He wanted to destroy their history. He wanted to destroy their beliefs, in, in especially the Lord as God. And Daniel, we found, stood up in faith. He dared to believe in the goodness of God. He refused to eat the king's food. And uh, there people saw that uh, God's ways were, were the best. And as we go through chapter 2 and then into chapter 3, what we see is that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they rose to positions of, of prominent power there because of, because of their wisdom, because of their you know, deep application of, of their studies. They were put in positions of authority. And here we see in chapter 3 something that King Nebuchadnezzar went on to do to challenge their faith, and we're going to see how they dared to stand. Chapter 3, if you're with me, I encourage you to, to use your Bible today. We're going we're gonna to read through this whole chapter. Um, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. 
He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. All right, so just to to catch you up here, in chapter 3, what we see is Nebuchadnezzar has built basically a giant statue. And he's called all of the, the rulers, the leaders um, that, that are in Babylon from all of his provinces to come to a dedication service. And here's what he expected of them. Read, read on in verse 4. It said that a herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, Trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, sorry, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Today, what I want to talk to you about is daring to stand in the middle of fire. And number one, if you're taking notes, is we see from, from their example that faith bows before God instead of bowing before man. Faith bows before God instead of bowing before man. So, so just, just picture the scene. Everyone is bowing. Three men are standing. You think they stood out? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. And, and don't you think that it would have been so easy for them to just rationalize away? Yeah, you, you know what, guys? We, we, should just, we should just do it. I mean, it's just, just a little bend of the knee. You know, we, we don't even have to go down all the way, you know? Or how about this? We'll just bow, and we don't have to mean it in our hearts. You know, it's, it's just, a, just a bow, and they don't know. They don't know we trust God on the inside. They don't know that we're saying, no, 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 this isn't true, you know. Or how about this one? If we bow, if we, sorry, if we don't bow, we're dead. 
And then who's going to tell people about the Lord as the God, as, as the, the only God? Who, who's going to tell them if, if, if we're dead? Who's going to do that? See, see, I believe that that is actually how a lot of Christians live in our culture today. From my observations is that no, we actually live in a generation that is much like the days of Daniel and his friends. It's actually why we chose to, to teach through this book um, when we did, because uh, we believe that there are statues today that we are being asked as Christians to bow down to, just like in Babylon. And so today I want to want to talk about specifically one of those statues that uh, isn't often talked about in the church, but it but it needs to be talked about. And uh, a lot of you have actually talked to me about this and asked, how do we respond? How should we how should we go about living as a follower of Jesus with this statue that we are being asked to bow down to? And the statue that I want to talk to you about today and, and give you some biblical advice about is the statue of transgenderism. Transgenderism. And, and you know what that is. I also know that we have children here with us and um, want to just, just let you know that this is one of the most basic human things that we, we know, male and female, don't we? And it, it's, it's not rocket science. You know, we know the difference between boys and girls. And so it's not wrong for us to have children here to understand that basic thing. What I want to teach you is, is how to respond as a Christian to this statue that our culture is asking us to bow down to. Satan's temptation from the beginning, we talked about this last week, was you can be like God. You can be like God. And every time we sin, that is our attempt to say, I'm going to follow my own way rather than God's way. And so anytime that we, we sin, that, that is, is putting our, ourselves in authority over God. For example, when God created us, he decided what our biological sex would be, either male or female, right? And he, he, didn't, he didn't, in our mother's womb, send us a survey and say, hey, little Johnny or little, little Susie, uh, what do you want to be? He didn't do that for me. And, and for us as parents, he didn't do that for us as parents either. It, it's kind of, you know, like a kinder surprise, right? You know, we go to the ultrasound, and man, we, they, they pop it up, and some of us we don't want to know before, and, and we find out at the time of the birth, but they tell us what the sex of our baby is going to be. We didn't get a choice in the matter, did we? No. And that's the way that God is, and we believe as Christians that uh, God is good. And even though we may not like all the stereotypes around our gender, maybe we don't like the body that we've been born with, as a follower of Jesus, what we're trusting is that God placed us in this body, that he gave us the sex that, that, that we have at birth, and that uh, no matter what our feelings are about that, that God is good, that he's, he's given us that, and so we submit our desires and our preferences to him. It's part of following God and placing him as Lord of our lives. 
submitting that basic part of who we are to him. Now, I will tell you, even teaching about this in the church, that our culture wants to shut down any kind of conversation that is against this movement. Am I right? Yeah. And even seeing what, what I have so far, man, they're, they're going to say, that is oppressive, that is uh, harmful, that is even violent. I'll tell you what's violent. It's, it's uh, using hormones and surgeries to fix something that is deeply broken on the inside. Think about that. I'll tell you what's violent is, is parents trying to change the sex of their children to conform to what they desire. Indoctrinating them with, with ideas and, and letting them go with, with, you know, mental conditions that they have to pursue a different gender than what, what's already there. I'll tell you what's violent. It's, it's, it's using um, mutilation and castration to change someone's sex. That's violent, guys. And, and realize that, that when we go along with this, that's what we're affirming. We're affirming violence. And you can, you can read and, and watch documentaries on all the harm that's been caused and all the regret that's been caused by these kind of surgeries, by these hormones that have been given. And it's not something that as Christians that we need to affirm, that we need to endorse. We need to speak up. We need to speak up about this. All right? Our culture today calls us oppressive, uncaring, and violent. No. As Christians, we submit our feelings to our faith. We submit our chemistry to our conviction. We submit our biology to our theology. And as followers of Jesus, we believe what is spoken in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, that if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, that if we lean not on our own understanding, that in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will direct our path. And so as a Christian, you need to understand this. There is truth and there are lies. There is um, facts and there are feelings. There are things that are rooted in reality and there are things that are fantasy. And the Bible teaches this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I just want you to look at that. Look at the text of Scripture. Look at the truth of it with me, because this is what we have from our God. We know right from the beginning of creation, in chapter 1, that he teaches us this most basic thing. No matter how old you are, you can understand this. Okay, but I, I'm convinced that, that sometimes in our sinful flesh, we, we have these desires for things that, that, that are out of line with God's created order. And I, I'm even convinced that we don't know what we want until we get it. Think about that. Those that, that have gone all the way to, to transition, to, to change their, their gender that doesn't conform to their biological sex, once they get it, are they satisfied? No. 
because it doesn't fix what's deeply broken on the inside. See, we are not animals. God created us in his image. An animal desire is just to go and get what you want. Okay? We're not animals. We're created in the image of God. Male and female. And to be clear, I want to just make sure that we understand this. We're not, as a church, against people that struggle with gender dysphoria. This is a real struggle. This is something that, that people are really struggling with. And we're not against you. We're for you, okay? We, we want to help you in Jesus' name. We're not against people who identify as transgender. We're not against people who are lesbian or gay or bisexual or queer. No, we welcome you into Valley Church. And, and as a church, I just want you to know, man, when we have people that struggle with that, that come into this place, we want to welcome them in the name of Jesus just like we welcome any other sinner, we don't let their identity change the way that we think about them because we know that they, are, they, they, they have the potential to be sons and daughters of the living king, that Jesus died for them, that, that they can be redeemed, that they can change. And uh, just like we welcome any sinner into, into the family of God, that is our desire. That's what we want to be as Valley Church. I will, I will also say what we are for, though, is we are for the truth. And Jesus, he said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Buddha, he said, I'm a seeker of truth. Muhammad said, I'm a prophet of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Think about that, okay? We don't twist the truth to fit our temporary circumstances. We don't twist the truth to make ourselves feel better. We don't twist the truth to make people feel more comfortable. We don't twist the truth. Our faith rests on facts, not on fantasies. It rests on the truth. And what Jesus said is this. He told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Just so you understand, the Christian faith is this. There is a God, and it's not you. Our God is holy, and we have sinned. We've wronged God. And because God is holy and he's, he's just, he must punish sin. This is a great quality of our God, that we want a God who, who, who measures out to, to others toward the wrong that they've done, but as long as it's not toward us, right? We want justice, and that is who our God is. But at the same time of God being just, he is also merciful and gracious. And that is why we know he sent his only begotten son, to die on a cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the call of the gospel is this. If you will confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That is an open invitation for all. For God so loved the world, he gave of his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And when we repent of our sin, when we repent of our own pride, when we repent of our rebellion, I'm not just talking about the just LGBTQ stuff. This is us, okay? This is you. This is me. This is whatever little or big sin we're struggling with. When we repent of that, we are submitting to Jesus as our, not just our Savior, but as our Lord. And I'll tell you, we, as, as you know, we call ourselves Christians, we can be really hypocritical in this because we'll accuse them of, oh, well, look at their sin, look at their sin, look at their sin. But we don't look at ourselves. We don't take the log out of our own eye like we were looking in Matthew. We don't do that. And we got to as well. Because what does it mean when Jesus said, follow me? What does that look like? It means you're following Jesus in every area of your life, not just, not just one area. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just in those safe places. It's every area, the deepest areas of your life. Okay? What does faith do? Faith bows before God instead of bowing before men. And my, my call to us as a church is this. Let us be the people who bow before God instead of bowing before men. And that begins by salvation. If you have not called upon the name of the Lord and bowed your knee to him as Savior and King. Do that today. Because there, there is, we, as we know, we have a God who is holy, who punishes sin. But a Savior who is redeemed that offers us a life of eternity with him. Call upon his name. Repent and follow Jesus. That's, that's the call, okay? Faith bows before God instead of bowing before man. Second, here's the second point if you're taking notes. Faith obeys God. And leaves the consequences to him. Let's get back into our text. Verse 13, we'll keep on reading here. Through verse 16, it said, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace and who is the God who, who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Scriptures say Nebuchadnezzar is in a furious rage. They're brought in, given a second chance under the threat of being thrown into this fiery furnace. And how do they respond? They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you. We've already made our decision. Think about this. They didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to think further about it. They didn't have to fast about it. They didn't have to even post it on Instagram to get other people's opinions about it. No, they made a pre-decision. They decided beforehand how they were going to respond. That's it. What does faith do? Faith bows before God instead of bowing before man. Faith obeys God and leaves the consequences to him.
Now, as we talk further about this topic of, of transgenderism, let me just tell you the social consequences of standing up in our bow-down world are real. Let's just make that clear. And like Nebuchadnezzar, the devil wants to bully you into saying things that you know and you don't believe in your heart to be true, don't, doesn't he? Our, our culture is calling us to do that. And what he's doing is he's using fear to try and coerce us and bully us into saying things that we know are not true. Because we fear losing our job. We fear being called names. We fear being, you know, put into, you know, labeled as, as a radical group or offending people or, or maybe even causing people to have suicidal thoughts, okay? I will tell you, that's a mental issue. If you're having suicidal thoughts because I don't affirm you, you need to have that dealt with with a counselor. And so that's, we don't affirm people so that they, they don't commit suicide. But they like to convince you that you're violent if you don't affirm them. And if we do not support them by giving them hormone therapy, that's just wrong. It's sick. It's violent. That's what's violent, okay? Now, I will, I will also just educate you on this. Um, let's talk about pronouns for a second, because I think we're all dealing with this. No matter where you're at, maybe it's family members, maybe it's school, maybe it's your workplace. How do you respond to being asked to use the proper pronouns? What would Scripture say? How can, how can we follow Jesus? Um, if you do not use proper pronouns, as they call it, you're going to be labeled right away. I'll tell you that. Um, legally, there are things that you can get in trouble for if you don't use the correct pronouns. Uh, according to the National Institutes of Health in the United States, and you can look this up. This is a quote. Um, it said, in, they say this, intentional refusal to use someone's correct pronouns is equivalent to harassment and a violation of one's civil rights. They actually have made this a civil rights issue. Think about that. That tramples on everything that our African-American community has fought for. Think about that. They should be very upset that they're making this a civil rights issue. In 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Title IX's prohibition against sex discrimination which was originally intended to make sure that females also had equal opportunities as males to play sports and education and other things. What they did is they, they um, ruled that this includes discrimination based on an employee's gender identity or sexual orientation. This is already in our laws. And that's, that's uh, troubling. This is also why when we look at, you know, even basic things like men and women's sports, that women, you should be very upset about men trying to compete in women's sports, okay? It's also why women, you should be very troubled that men are trying to come into your bathroom. Everything that was fought for in, in, in the time of, I think it was the Industrial Revolution, when women started coming into the workplace, there were no women's bathrooms. They had to go to the bathrooms together, and they fought for women's bathrooms. 
so that abuse couldn't happen. But yet, now what are we doing? We're going backwards, aren't we? We should be very upset. We should fight for this. We've made positive changes in our society, and now we're trying to break them down. This is already in our law, though. Jordan Peterson, a Canadian psychologist, encourage you to listen to his podcast. He, he said this, I've studied authoritarianism for a long time, for 40 years. And they started with, with people's attempts to control the ideological and linguistic territory. Explain what that means. Every time a dictator comes to power, the way that they come to power and control people is they first start by trying to control people's language, to muzzle people's mouths. And we've seen that some on social media, um, but uh, man, we, we see that especially in all the social pressure in our workplaces right now. Um, they, if they can't do that, or if they want to do that, they'll even go beyond that and force us to say things that we know in our heart to not be true. And isn't that what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do? The parallels are like exact, guys. There's a statue that we're being asked to bow down to. And so for a Christian, I will tell you this from Scripture, using someone's preferred pronouns is a lie. And it breaks the ninth commandment. Let's be clear about that. Some of you may say, well, I just, I just want to avoid the issue. I just want to love people. And, and I, you know, I just, just want them to, to know that, that I love them, okay? What does Scripture say to that? Love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. So it's one thing to be told that you cannot talk about God. It's another thing to be told that you have to say something you do not believe in your heart to be true. And as Christians, I believe we're called to avoid intentionally fighting with people. But I also believe that um, we do not pursue peace at all costs. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all. Think about the wording of that, though, because we, we use this, this verse to encourage that we be at peace with everyone, okay? We don't pursue peace at all costs, though. The word if possible means that sometimes it's not possible. How can you have peace with someone that is violent, with someone that wants to harm other people, should we not as Christians stand up for life, stand up for truth, stand up to protect those that are the most vulnerable? If possible, I mean, sometimes it's not possible, and we are called to stand up and fight. I like what Martin Luther King said. He said, peace if possible, truth at all costs. And so I know that this issue of pronouns is something that I would guess each one of you are dealing with. And maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, um, maybe it's something that uh, you're going through a training about, you know, pronouns with, with your workplace that you're required to go through. And um, honestly, from scripture, as we've said, using someone's pronouns, if they don't align to someone's biological sex, that's, that's lying. You're breaking the ninth commandment. What do you do? What do you do? 
Um, I would say, and you can hear the testimonies of others that have gone through uh, a conversion into be, becoming transgender and then transition out, what they will say is that if you are a Christian and you did not conform to just using, you know, bowing down and using their preferred pronoun, they will say that they appreciated that about you afterwards. Okay? They won't say it at the time, but that's the testimony of those that have come out of this because it kind of shakes them up. As a Christian, if, if you just use it, but you don't believe it in their heart, they know, they know that you don't believe it. I'll just tell you that. They know that you're lying, and so don't lie. Don't lie to them. But I will say is that we need to approach them with love and truth and grace, don't we? That's what we as Christians are called. And so if you want me to send this to you, um, I, can, I can send it to you. But this is what I'd propose if you have someone that's pushing this upon you. You can say to them this, I, I truly want to respect you, but I also need to honor my God. And I believe that Scripture teaches that God created male and female as a part of his created order. I will be as respectful as I can to you. And I'm just asking that you be respectful to me and my beliefs and my faith in the Lord. I do not believe that I can refer to you using the pronouns that you asked me to use and still be faithful to my God. I love you, but I cannot endorse something that I know is not true. Now, church, what I want you to do is I want you to make a predecision, like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I believe that that's something that we need to agree on, that you need to do some work yourselves. How can I respond to someone? Not to try and offend them, but to show them the love and grace of Jesus without compromising, without bowing down to this idol. How am I going to respond? What does faith do? Faith bows before God instead of bowing before men. Faith obeys God, and it leaves the consequences to him. And the consequences are real today. Verse 17, let's, let's wrap this chapter up. We'll go a little bit long today, but um, we're going we're gonna to see the end of this chapter because it's really cool. Verse 17, they responded. Um, obviously, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this. They made a predecision, but then they go on. They said, and if this be so, if this is what you're going to do to us, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if he doesn't, if, even if he doesn't come through, we'll still obey God. And we'll leave the consequences to him. Did you know that there have been many, many Christian martyrs of the faith who have made that same statement? And yet, they died for their faith in Jesus? I was going to tell you a story about a Christian martyr named Polycarp, but I'm going to ask you to look him up. Because he was one of the first Christian martyrs who was burned for his faith in Jesus and was, was burned at the stake. But as Christians realize that there are consequences 
today for following Jesus? And are you willing to accept temporary pain for an eternity with our Savior and our Lord? As we read on to verse 19, we're going to wrap up this chapter and see what happens. In verse 19, it says, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it, it usually was heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown to the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound in the burning, fiery furnace. So it looks like they just perished in their death. We know what happens, though, okay? Verse 24, the king, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered, and they said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. Wow. An incredible miracle of God. And I, I wish I could, could have been there to, to witness that, and I wish, I wish that we could have all seen that. But here God came through. He rescued them from the fire. Scripture says they were unharmed and they were unburned, okay? Not even the smell of smoke was, was upon them. Not even their hair was singed. That's incredible. But I will say there is something that did burn in that fire. You notice that they were thrown in, bound? How'd they come out? Unbound. And I'll tell you, this world wants to bind you, but Jesus will set you free. He can set you free. The ropes that were binding them were burned off by fire. And this also, if you're reading through our reading plan this past week, you'll see that this was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Years before, Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. And we'll have it on the screen. Isaiah prophesied and said, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, it's a good thing to remember, right? O, o Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. 
can we just say God reigns in the kingdom of men? Not only is he your creator, he created you male and female, but he is also your sustainer and your redeemer and your savior. And just like Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, he will deliver you from whatever fire you are going through. John 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Our hope and our prayer is that God will deliver you from whatever sin that you are plagued with right now. And he can. If you'll repent of your sin, you'll find deliverance in his name. But also our prayer is that he would deliver those in our valley that are under, under this sin as well, under, under whatever sin that they're dealing with, that God will free them, unbind them from the chains of sin, generational sins, <laughs> sexual sins, the sins that, that they've, they've opened the doors to. God can redeem, God can restore, God can heal. And that's our prayer, that through the gospel, he would allow us to be agents of his healing and bring his truth into this valley. Two things I want to close with, and, um, and these, these are points for you to encourage you if you're going through a fire right now. Number one is this. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. If your faith is being tested right now, just know this. This is not without purpose. God doesn't waste a moment. He'll use it to, to strengthen your face. How, 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 do you, how do you grow muscles? By lifting things that are heavy, right? By having them stretched. Man, that's, that's what God does. And he, he, he doesn't waste it, but he uses it, doesn't he? He'll, he'll also use it to encourage others who are going through the same. That you might be someone that can go and strengthen someone else. We are that for one another as a church. The second thing I want to encourage you is this. Times of great suffering are also times of great fellowship with Jesus. If you're going through suffering right now, just know that there is, as with these four men, there's a fourth man with you in the fire. And he's there to bring you comfort. He's there to walk with you. He's there to deliver you. And his name is Jesus. And so call upon his name. In the time of trouble, you can call upon his name and he will be there. Um, times of great suffering are times of great fellowship with Jesus. Some of you, you've been going through some really hard things. And um, I wouldn't wish that upon myself, but just, just realize whatever suffering you're going through right now is also a time where you're going to feel and know the tangible, tangible presence of Jesus in a way that you won't know when you have a carefree life. Cause you to depend on him. Cause you to speak to him. Cause you to, to, to just put your trust and faith in him. He is with you. Times of great suffering are also times of great fellowship with Jesus. Let's finish the chapter 26, and we'll close in prayer. Then Nebuchadnezzar, um, keep on going. Sorry, we're going to skip down to the end. Um, let's start in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angels and delivered his servants, 
who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no god who is able to rescue in this way. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Man. So what does faith do? It dares to stand. Will you dare to stand in the middle of fire with Jesus? In this world, he said, you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Faith bows before God instead of bowing before man. Faith obeys God instead and leaves the consequences to him. A faith that can be tested is a faith that can be trusted in times of great sufferings are also times of great fellowship with Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word concerning this. Thank you, God, that as we read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and yourself, Lord, as being with them in this fire, the reminder that we're not alone is so encouraging. The reminder that, um, Lord, even when we face trouble, you have overcome the world. God, whatever trouble we're facing or we're going into in this week, we give it to you. And we thank you that you are our Savior and Lord over any situation that we might enter in, Lord. God, thank you that you provide your salvation freely in Jesus' name. We pray, God, over those that are entrapped in the snares of sin. God, would you deliver them? Would you bring repentance? Lord, would you deliver anyone that may be stuck in the snares of sin right now here in this congregation, God, that they call upon you? God, that you'd heal, you'd restore. We thank you that you are with us, you're walking with us. God, go with us in this, in this new week. And we thank you, God, for the opportunities to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.